maximize every opportunity so that you can become you legendary. Become legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself one percent better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. Welcome to becoming legendary, man. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Good, man. Super yeah. excited to uh, jump into a little dialogue with you. Can you do me and anybody in the audience who might not have a wonderful perspective of who you are, just the, the honor of hearing who you are in like a 30 second minute timeline? Um, yeah. Can you just let us know who you are? Absolutely. Well, I'm a amicably divorced father of three. I have 12 year old twin sons and a 10 year old daughter, all of which are very active in youth sports and sports in particular basketball have played a major role in my life. I fell in love with the game at five years old and here 40 plus years later, basketball is still a major pillar in my life. Uh, after a fairly decent playing career, I went on to be a basketball performance coach for just over 15 years and loved every minute of that. But then five years ago, decided to make the very distinct pivot over into the corporate keynote speaking space, uh, which is what I do presently, which is uh, help folks improve individual and organizational performance. That was a professional answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> that was rad. Thank that you. Was, I lost the bet. That was the best. That was the best answer ever. A lot of people get offended at that question, which I think is funny. And I, I, I love like it's just an opportunity to have that elevator pitch, right? It's like so simple and so easy, and you just nailed it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know why anyone would get offended. I mean, I, I go into everything under the assumption nobody has any idea who I am. So I like introducing myself and, and sharing a little bit about my background. So now it's, yeah, that's easy for me. All right. Now I have a question on how, how did you, do, you said something very specific about your basketball career. It was like a relatively successful, is that how you described it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, what's interesting is I mean, I was able to play college basketball, which by definition, you know, uh, and I know it sounds like it lacks humility, but that puts me in the upper 1% of anyone that ever dribbles a basketball. Yeah. However, I played at a very small school uh, in North Carolina. It was division two when I got there and then actually switched to division one while I was there. And, and I was a role player there. So I didn't play very much. So, you know, by the, by the standard of measure against like uh, a one and done, uh, you know, all American at Duke. Uh, by that standard, you know, I had a <laughs> incredibly mediocre college career, <laughs> sure. but I was fortunate enough to have my education pay paid for playing the game that I love. So I always keep it in perspective. Yeah. All right. So I'll, I, I have not said this. I don't think I've said this publicly yet, but since we have three college athletes on this call, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun little connect. So as we were growing up, right, we always heard the odds, right? The odds are one in 10 million that you're going to become a professional blank, right? Which is true. But the odds that you are going to grow up and become a professional grocery store clerk are probably about exactly the same. And I recognize that there's like a talent component that may be different. <laughs> but I think the reality is when you're a little kid, it's like, yeah, the odds are small that you're going to become anything. You're going to become something. Just keep doing rad things and something rad is going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, statistically, when you just look at the odds of even being born and being a For human, sure. yeah. those, those are so astronomical. So sure. in theory, the fact that the three of us are here um, <laughs> means we already hit the genetic lottery and, and we already, uh, you know, lightning struck. So, yeah, once again, everything in this world is, is perspective. You guys hit the genetic lottery. I'm I'm the I'm the ugly one of the bunch. So <laughs> congrats on you guys. <laughs> Alan, we have some commonalities, man. I, I played um, high school basketball in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was recruited. I, I'm 42 now. You're, you're a similar age, right? I'm 46, so I'm just a little bit before you. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I was recruited by Elon. I went down there for a recruiting trip and the whole thing. Um, so we, oh. we would have just made cross paths. I ended up choosing golf. I played collegiate golf at Xavier University. Um, so so it just I, when I was doing some research on you, I noticed that Elon was a was a was a highlight of of that. So I, I had to kind of follow along for a little bit and, and say to you that that, that we kind of just missed past just a little bit. We're connecting now though, so that's cool. Yeah. Oh, no, that's super cool. And, and Elon's a wonderful school. It's a gorgeous yeah. campus. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're into the smaller school size, it's perfect. I think 
I believe they're around 3,500 undergrads. So, yeah. you know, a, a smaller school, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. And the, the school has only increased in reputation since I've been there. I mean, the standards to get in now are sure. much harder than they were when I was there. I, yeah. I wouldn't be able to get in now. I was going to say um, that too. And, I would have no yeah. shot at it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Every area of the school is actually elevated. So yeah. it's kind of neat when folks hear that I'm an alum, <laughs> yeah. I guess they make the assumption that that maybe I'm smarter than I am. <laughs> you can go, you can go yeah, along with that yeah. assumption. That's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it, so it is what it is. It is what it is. I know that you hate that statement. So I want to, I, I was just, I wanted to pry open the, uh, the container a little bit because you mentioned that on, on one of the, one of your talks, by the way, the talks you have on YouTube are, are, are freaking amazing. I was up way too late going down that rabbit hole. So, um, but, but tell me, tell me a little bit about why that is one of your least favorite sayings. I've already said it a couple of times so far in our, in our little dialogue here that everything is perspective. And I really do believe that, you know, uh, I, I don't think most of what occupies our conversations, what occupies our dialogue, what's on social media, and certainly what folks tend to argue over, it's very rarely over facts. Um, mm. Most of what we argue over and have difference of opinion on is just simply perspective. And I'm finally at a point in my life where I have the humility to acknowledge that I can only see a limited view of the world. And even that view is somewhat tainted by my biases, my, my experiences, you know, how and where I grew up, the way I was parented, the, you know, what I read, watch, and listen to, all of that shaped my perception of the world. And, and, and that shapes everybody's perception of the world. So when I hear a statement like it is what it is, I, I don't agree with that because I don't, I don't think it is what it is. I think it is whatever you perceive it to be, which is why the three of us, which we've already established are relatively educated, relatively informed human beings, the three of us could look at the same situation and draw three completely different conclusions from it or have three different opinions of it, which means by definition, it can't be what it is. It is what it is doesn't make sense because the three of us would define it differently. And, you know, whether that's, somebody's opinion on, on world events or something going on, or just even look at the pandemic. You know, I, I mean, I know incredibly informed, educated people that will go as far as saying the pandemic is the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity. And I can find just as many informed, educated people that say it's one of the best things that has ever happened to humanity. And they, they don't say that to be callous to the lives that have been lost. That's not lost on me, but generally speaking, some of the things that have arrived from getting us to hit reset and slow down and spend more time on self-care and devote more time with family, one could make an argument that the pandemic kind of forced our hand to do that and that that's been a good thing. Um, so yeah, the, the statement it is what it is uh, has just never resonated with me, but I also recognize that in and of itself is just merely my opinion. So for folks that choose to say that, you know, I, I don't have any problem with them choosing to say it. It's just something that has a different connotation for me. Got it. That's a good answer. All right. Yeah. I want to dive in on, on that subject because it's very, very closely related to something that I find um, is one of the most important things in society right now, which is the reality that, the, that while we all do have an independent perspective, there also exists an objective reality that is independent of anyone's perception and is and in as many ways a conglomeration of all of our perceptions. Hmm. And my least favorite thing is um, everyone deserves their own truth because if that is true, then we reward people who are willing to be as far as possible from objective reality instead of rewarding people who are willing to push their perspective as close as possible to the objective reality. How much, how much do you get into the, the second step of that, right? The second layer, which is, yeah, we all have our perspectives, but also outside of our perspectives exists a reality that none of us can perceive accurately, but we all should be working as hard as we possibly can to get as close to. Oh, well said, man. I, I'm, this is going to be a fun conversation. I'm glad you guys are going in this direction. Definitely <laughs> different than any of the other interviews I've done. 
generally speaking, if you, if you look at the broad spectrum of, of any topic or any perspective, you're always going to have a couple of outliers. You're going to have people on either end. And for the most part, I pay very little attention to either extreme. You know, I'm generally speaking about the 95% that's on some grade towards the middle. And what's helped me when someone has a, a, a belief um, or a perspective or an opinion that's wildly different from mine, um, here's a few things that have really helped me. And, and I hope this answers your question. And if it doesn't, uh, I can certainly fine tune it. One thing is, and some people think this is a naive way to approach life, but I've actually found it's a great way to connect with other human beings. I make the assumption that everybody is doing the best they can with the tools that they have, with their level of awareness. So when someone says something that ranges anywhere from absurd to abhorrent, um, I try not to judge them or label what they're saying as wrong or bad or stupid or anything in between. I try and take a moment and think, they're doing the best they can with the information they have. Uh, I'm a lot more informed as a human being and a lot more aware today at 46 than I was at 26. I can promise you that I had some really boneheaded perspectives at 26, but at 26, I was doing the best I could with what I had. I just had a much narrower you know, view of reality and, and a much narrower view of the world. So I choose to assume that people are trying the best they can. You know, when, when, when somebody is you know, driving in front of you and they're slow and they don't have on their turn signal, which can frustrate a lot of people, they're just not a good driver, but they're doing the best they can. They're not doing that to annoy you. <laughs> they're not doing that to try and cause an accident. That's just, that's the skill set they have when it comes to driving. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing, which I just kind of mentioned, is I try not to look at the world through the lens of right and wrong, good and bad, positive or negative. I, I try not to slap those labels on things. Instead, uh, I try to look and just see what, what is there and form my own opinions on it, as opposed to coming from a position of I'm right which then means uh, from a zero sum standpoint, if I'm right, that means you have to be wrong. And if I'm good, that means you have to be bad. Yeah. And if what I think is positive, then what you think has to be negative. Uh, and that in and of itself, that construct causes more divisiveness when I'm trying to increase inclusiveness. And then the third step that's really helped me is I just try to get fascinated and, and curious and ask questions and say, okay, you know, you, you two guys are looking at this situation completely different than I do. I'm curious, why do you believe what you believe? Like, where, how did you form this opinion? You know, if I think this and you guys think this, and as we've said, we're, we're relatively informed and intelligent, what's causing you to see the world so differently than I'm seeing it? And usually it's from different experiences. You know, maybe it's geographical distances. I'm sure there is an inherent difference between being raised in Cleveland and being raised in DC. You know, I'm sure there's an inherent difference um, between, you know, the, the, everything that comes from our background, who, who you were raised by, what values they had. You know, did you grow up in a religious or a political household? And, and if so, which direction did those go? What do you read, watch and listen to? Who do you insulate yourself with? Who are your, your best friends? Uh, who do you follow on social? What types of things do you watch on Netflix? All of that stuff has a massive influence on your mindset, your perspective and your attitude. So for me, and this has been really helpful, if I, can, if I can acknowledge the fact that let's just say for this hypothetical example, you grew up somewhere way different than me, um, were raised by complete parents with completely different values, um, you were raised with different beliefs politically and religiously, uh, you read, watch, and listen to stuff that's a lot different than what I do, um, why would I even be surprised that you have a different opinion than me? Like It would almost be impossible for us to see the world the same. And that's been really helpful for me um, because historically in the past, I've been very quick to judge, very quick to label, and very quick to try to prove to somebody else that I'm right and what they're thinking is wrong. And, and not only does that cause more division, but it's exhausting and it's futile because it never works. And it clearly doesn't work on social media. I mean, in today's day and age, if you think you're ever going to convince someone you're right of your position on social, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fruitless effort. And um, so that's how I choose to look at things. And I recognize that the way I see things are biased. I know that. So I, I, don't, I don't believe that what I think is the truth. I just believe it's my reality based on what I've been through. And I want to have the same respect for anybody else that looks at things differently. 
And that's speaking to the general 95%. We could easily find people on either end of the spectrum that have completely lost their marbles. And you can't even have a reasonable conversation with those folks, sure. but I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about the 95 in the middle. Yeah. All right. So that was beautiful. Yeah. That was beautiful. I, I want to dig back into point number one. I, I thought point number three was where you were going to go right out of the gate. I thought it was going to be questions, <laughs> but I love point number one, which is um, people are doing the best they can. So what I have been told is that you have put up a social media post in relation to putting your shopping cart away. Yeah. I have two at least half hour podcasts exclusively dedicated to putting your shopping cart away. It came out the same day, man. Literally the same day. Like we booked, we booked this podcast and then he had the pod, he had the podcast and you released that post. I was like, we're going to have a good time. How, so, so this is where I, this is where I think there's, there's a, there's a diversion of reality within my thought around this. And I want to hear how you, how you bring those two things together. Mm. So I find an impossibility to assume that the person not putting their shopping cart away is doing the best they can, because I watch them walk from the grocery store to their car with the shopping cart. So I know they're capable of pushing the shopping cart and I know they're capable of walking. Um, can you tie those two pieces together for me? Because mm. I, I, I got a lot of flack can. about this. Yeah, and, and I, I've actually, I've, I need to make an amendment to my original position. My original position was, if you leave your shopping cart abandoned in, the, in, a, in a parking space, you are lazy, you are entitled, and you are selfish. I've, I've upgraded that because that's actually going against my attempt to not label and judge people. I've mm. upgraded that Instead of admonishing someone's entire life based on one action, I've now upgraded it to saying that is an act of selfishness, entitlement, and laziness. I don't want to, I don't want to label it. I'm in no position to judge another human being and tell them what they are. But in that moment, I would agree with you. Um, most people are capable of making a better decision in the moment. But here's what I'll say. And, I, and this is not, I'm not even trying to be funny. It's just slightly playing the devil's advocate. Anytime we see someone do anything in this world, whether it's on social or, or you're literally sitting in your car watching this person abandon their shopping cart, you're still only privy to a very small snapshot of the big picture. In theory, you have no idea what's going on in that person's world, what's going on in their life, what's going on earlier that day. Now, I'm not a gambler. If I was, I would still put most of my money on the fact that that person is rather entitled, lazy, and selfish. But we don't know that for a fact. For all you know, that that person has had the worst morning they have ever had. You know, their, their dog got sick, they got in a fight with their wife and they found out their grandmother passed away. They showed up all for true. work and lost, and they lost, they, they found out they lost the big account. And, and they're, they're just in a, they're in a bad mood. They, you know, I, I don't feel like giving a little extra effort. They're kind of in an F the world type mindset. And that might be the only time they've ever left a shopping cart. Now, I realize that's, that's a bit of an, that's a bit of an extreme extreme. And I wouldn't put money on that. I do believe people are, are, are almost predictable in behavior. And I'm willing to guess that most people that abandon their shopping cart do that regularly. That is a part of their yeah. behavior. But I still want to have the practice of saying, I only know a small snapshot and I don't know what else is going on. And here's a perfect example. Generally speaking, most people are, are, are incredibly kind and gracious when I make social posts. Most people offer support, they offer praise, and they say nice things. And for that, I am so thankful. Occasionally, I get pushback and somebody, you know, I won't go as far as to call them a troll, but they, you know, they're trying to push my buttons and they're trying to question my integrity or they're, they're trying to, to reframe something. And the very first thing I do, I mean, I have empathy for those people. Because I'm sitting there thinking in my mind, if you have nothing better to do than try to tear down my social post, you're living a pretty miserable life. And I feel bad for you. Like, I don't, I don't try to defend myself. I don't try to lash out at those folks. And I definitely don't try to demean them or diminish them or go tit for tat. I'm just thinking, man, that, that sucks. And that's kind of my positioning, even on the shopping cart thing. I mean, most, a lot of the posts I make about shopping carts. I say them in jest because I, I find it funny. I have little running jokes with my kids. Sometimes when we're at the grocery store and we see somebody leaving, we, we make a little bet. We're like, you think they're <laughs> going to put their cart back? And, uh, you know, we just have fun with it. Um, but, but, you know, overall, uh, I, I try and have empathy and compassion for everyone. And, you know, I, I know 
that, that I do the best I can to consistently make good decisions. And I work really hard to not be entitled, not be lazy and not be selfish. Mm. But I'll also tell you, I'm not batting a thousand. Mm. I'm not perfect. I'm mm -hmm. fallible. And over the last 46 years of my life, I have absolutely made some, some decisions that were lazy, selfish, and entitled. Now they, Always. they weren't shopping cart related, yeah. but they were, they were in other contexts of life. So I too have been fallible for doing something that, that I would now quickly admonish for someone else. So I still, I'm and not, everyone I'm not has, right. Everyone has, that's true. Of course. And I'm not wavering on my stance. I believe people should put your shopping cart back. And I'm a huge believer in that, but that's just hopefully a, a slight Where did evolution. Where to take a stand, man? That's my, my slight evolution on it is, uh, you know. And now what I do find funny is some people, when I make those posts, and I think this is just, this speaks more to their personality. I know they that. try to come up with every possible exception. You know, I've had people say, well, you know, what, what, what if you're holding a newborn and the newborn's throwing up? Yeah. Okay. Right. You know, what, what, what if, you know, and they, they come up with all the what ifs and my, and I joke with them and just say, you realize in the time that you just described all these, what ifs you could have just put the shopping cart back. Like it's yeah. not, it, it's so not here's my thing on that. Yeah. I, I, I don't find any excuse for it. Like, Hey, you're yeah. having a shitty day. Sorry. My thing is, let's say, let's say someone around you is having a bad day. Yes. Would that, would you then grant them the exception that they could take likely your second most valuable possession that you have and damage it? Like you pick out the second most valuable possession you have, it's likely your car. For some people, it's their first most valuable possession, but for most people, it's the second most valuable possession. You are essentially leaving a, an item of destruction that will randomly damage someone's second most valuable possession. So if you're okay with me having a bad day and I have them, but if I'm having a bad day and I can fix that by coming over and smashing your second most valuable thing, hey, leave your shopping cart wherever the heck you want. But we're gonna make that trade and you're gonna have to sign up for that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 first of all, I love your passion and conviction on it. I'm, I'm thrilled that we're even talking about this uh, as a subject. You know, I, I, it's not about, put it this way. One of my favorite, one of my favorite phrases is there's lots of things in life that are understandable. It doesn't mean that they're acceptable. Um, being lazy, entitled, and selfish. There are times where that is under, an understandable human condition to me. That, that I understand why people are lazy, entitled, and selfish. It doesn't mean that leaving their shopping cart is acceptable. There's not a single circumstance where I'll ever acknowledge that that is acceptable to do it. But I also know the human condition mm. is we, we prioritize our needs. So my convenience in this moment is way more important than damaging your car is ultimately what that person is saying. And that isn't, I mean, that is not acceptable. I'm with you on that, but I understand how people get to that point. You know, I mean, this is one microcosm of society. We, we could do a nine hour podcast listing all of the things people do that are completely unacceptable. And if they would stop doing those things, we'd live in a much better place. But I also recognize that, that all I can control. And I even say this in my new book that, you know, I love the phrase, guard your yard. Like I'm responsible for putting my shopping cart back. I'm responsible for raising three children that will want to put their own shopping cart back. And I don't mind picking up the slack for other human beings. When I see a shopping cart in the parking lot, I just put it back because I believe it's the right thing to do. And that's the code at which I choose to live by. Those are the only things that I either have control over or have influence over. Outside of that, I've learned to let it go. Because if, if I'm gonna be up at night seething and can't sleep because somebody left their shopping cart out, now I'm a victim to circumstance. So most of this stuff I say in jest, because I mean, I don't let it bother me. If someone else wants to go through life, lazy, entitled, and selfish, that's on them. They're the ones that will ultimately suffer for that, not for me. But to answer your question, I do believe it is an unacceptable act. And, and I wish that people would not do it. But that's, that's, that's about as far as I can go with it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> how, um, how do you... So, so I view this as, um, as a, right, shopping carts are not the thing, right? It is a microcosm that, that is representative of a, a societal problem. Yes. And I view, I view the, the potential path forward to a better society coming through uh, holding humans to the highest potential of humanity 
instead of offering excuses for, for when we act our lowest, right? It's like, oh, cool. You can be gracious about that. But if, if you just say, yeah, it's fine that, you know, they're having a bad day, which was the initial response when I started talking about shopping carts. And actually shopping carts became the most commented podcast that I've put out in a long time. And most people are like, hey, mm. we, we're putting away shopping carts now. And I thought that was <laughs> rad. But I believe that there has to be some there has to be some societal desire to hold the individual human to the highest potential of humanity in order for us to ever better society because if yes we have to take care of our own thing it's the only thing we can do but if we continue to write people get out of jail free cards for acting terrible for throwing for throwing litter um whatever it is right whatever whatever thing it is if we continue to write those cards we're all going to pay for it. And not us individually, because we'll be dead, but humanity will pay for it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. But then here, and, and I, again, this, this is so much fun. I, I'm, I'm excited that this is, I had no idea this would be the conversation that we're having. Um, I'm of the belief that you cannot change other people's behavior. Right. You, you, you're in charge of your behavior and you can absolutely model and help influence and inspire and empower and encourage other people's behavior, but you can't actually change other people's behavior. So um, for me, I, I'm with you. You do change actually, people's behavior though. You can't change it how you want to, but every interaction that you have with someone changes them. Okay. Yeah. But, but I think that the change is occurring on their end of that equation. Right. You're bringing something to the table. And if, if you have the type of influence and impact and charisma and you, you can show someone that you care about them and you show them that you love them, you know, you're going to increase the chance that they're going to make that internal change on their own. But, but generally speaking, and I think we've seen this with the political divide, we've seen this with the uh, social injustice divide, we've seen this with um, what's the best way to approach a pandemic divide. Yeah. Coming at people from a position of, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're bad, I'm positive, you're negative, and trying to beat people over the head to coerce them into doing what we want them to do has proven to be very ineffective. Mm -hmm. What I think is a much better approach, and this doesn't mean that you coddle people, but as you simply, you model the behavior that you want to see in others. You, mm -hmm. you, want, you work to inspire someone to put their shopping cart back instead of you know, criticizing or demeaning them for not. And, and that, that's just as a, as a general overall principle. I think in order, because I'm with you 100%, that we need to raise the standard of excellence and raise accountability if we're going to raise humanity. But I think we can, we'll always do that more effectively with a carrot instead of a stick. And we'll always do that better through love than through fear. So, you know, for me, that's kind of the approach I think we should take. I, I'm also from the belief that holding someone accountable is one of the best gifts you can give them. Mm. That if you care about yeah. someone, you well, hold them well. to a high standard. Uh, sure. I think that's what parent, I think that's what a good parent does, a good yeah. spouse does, a good teacher, a good coach, a good leader, a good teammate. You hold someone to high standards. Um, but you also have to be chameleon-like enough to meet that person where they are. Um, and if someone is so their perception of the world is so warped that they believe, you know, and they are selfish, entitled, and lazy, and they believe they have every right to abandon their shopping cart in there. Uh, they're obviously coming from a very different belief system than I have. Those things are catechisms apart, and I need to find a way to kind of narrow that distance to, to hopefully influence them to the point that they'll want to put it back on your own. Uh, no different than your podcast. Every time I make one of those posts, I have a few people comment and even more funny, I have actual friends send me a text yeah. with like a, a, a funny <laughs> laughing emoji. And they're like, Alan, I hope you know, ever since I saw your post, I've been putting my shopping cart back. Yes. I, I never even realized that the way I was doing it before was, was so entitled, selfish and lazy. So yeah. th those people actually welcomed the accountability. They welcomed yeah. that we called them out. And yeah. I know that's how I am in my life. Yeah. I promise you, if you two guys followed me around for a week, you could probably find something that I do in my daily behavior that you might not be in full agreement with. And you might think, you know, I think Alan would be better served to do something a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Now, because I'm open to feedback and I'm always looking to evolve and grow, I would be open to you sharing that with me. It doesn't mean I would agree with you and it doesn't mean I would change what I'm doing, 
but I'm always open for people to share those ideas. But I realize that a lot of people aren't open to that. And, and if you try to tell them to put their shopping cart back, they're putting their fingers in their ears because they don't want to hear it. Um, and, and that's where we run into, you know, somewhat of a challenge. Yeah, I think so. I want to I want to spin just a little bit deeper into that because you're modeling you're modeling um, archetype for how you can create influence or change in someone's behavior, I think is actually the the most brute force way of creating change in someone. Um, I think there are two other levels. So I have this, this like three, this three potential ways to influence people's behavior. And I think modeling your, your, your own behavior is a brute force way. I think engaging them in a narrative is probably the most dangerous way that human behavior has changed. And that, that is certainly happening in, in media, social media, et cetera. And then I think the way that we can make the most change individually within someone else's behavior is to inspire new thoughts within their cognition uh, through, through questions. Because if someone realizes something within them, you can, if you can make someone realize something within their own neural connections and they view it as something that came from within them, you can create a dramatic change in someone's behavior, right? So can we ask the appropriate questions of someone so that they inspire their own neural connections to come up with something new that they've never thought of? And you can see like 180 degree behavioral shifts through that. Absolutely, I love that. that. That's that's brilliant. And that's I think that's a great three steps. So that I guess that means the three of us need to start loitering in parking lots. And when someone leaves their shopping cart, Say, excuse me, I've got a question. Yeah. Uh, may I ask why you chose to leave your, your shopping <laughs> cart it. in the parking yeah. lot? Done it. I mean, funny, <laughs> I, I'm not even being facetious. I mean, funny enough, I would I would actually love to conduct that research and love to hear what people say. Yeah. And, but I think you're 100% correct. And I, I think that's a brilliant and a beautiful approach. Um, yeah, is getting people to, to actually be able to articulate why they do what they do. And they'll start coming up with some different answers. I, I think that's great. Be, yeah, yeah. Be, being being that mirror and be able to being able to reflect back um, something, an opinion or, or or a perspective that that person has never thought of is a magical way to to inspire change. Um, we we also work together, so I work for Patrick, um, and it's it's been a recent a recent venture. And one of the things that he instilled in me from a very from a very I was gonna say early age, but from a very <laughs> from, <laughs> But from but from a very you know since since the inception of this of this partnership is yeah. is one the accountability piece and, and number two being able to to ask me questions that 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 gets me to think outside of my original paradigm of thinking and and those oh, yeah. those two those two the combination of holding me accountable to to my position and also asking me sometimes I think his questions are far out right I'm, I'm like what the hell is this coming from it'll take me two or three days to to come sure. back with a good with a good response or a good sort of um position to or a channel to follow right but that's where i feel the most growth so i've been i was in sales for 10 years in new york city i took a break for about 10 years and now i'm heavy back into the sales game and it's amazing to me how my lens has changed, right? The skills that I cultivated in New York and Manhattan are still there, but my lens now and the way that I respond, the way that I become motivated is increasingly different. And so I'm, I'm discovering how, how not only time can change you, but, but a person like Patrick who's so forward thinking is able to inspire somebody just by thinking different. And that's one of the uh, things that this is, gonna, this is gonna lead to a question, I promise. It's- sure, no, this is great. <laughs> When you when it comes to your to your own perspective in, in your life, like because you because you've worked with so many different athletes, so many different middle-aged students, so many different corporate executives, like like how do you how do you then formulate um, the formulate a question that 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 sometimes they may not be thinking of, or then how again how do you hold somebody accountable to them taking the next steps in their career, their life, or their um, their family to to really up level, or in your words, to raise their game. Man, this is this is so awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I believe you can only hold someone accountable to the level of trust that you've established with them. So, and even same thing from a question standpoint, um, there has to be a certain level of safety 
you know, if, if you two guys have been working together closely um, for several years and you've built a friendship and a working relationship, you, you've gotten to know each other really well, there, there's an inherent safety there that, that you can ask each other some pretty deep and probably uncomfortable questions, which is completely different than if you guys just randomly met yesterday on the subway. Like you, you can't walk up to a stranger and ask them, hey, what's your biggest, deepest, darkest fear? Like you're going to get punched in the face. <laughs> it's true. But, you know, that's certainly something you could ask of somebody that you're really close with. So we have to keep in mind, I can hold my three children to a much higher level of accountability than I can hold a stranger who's just abandoning their, their shopping cart in the parking lot. There's no context there. So, you know, that, that's one of the things that I have to keep in mind. And, and one of the things that I try and do as a keynote speaker where I'm usually coming in, I'm being ushered on stage and I'm in front of people for the first time. I've never met them. They're just getting introduced to me. You know, I have to, to quickly start to establish some trust and some credibility and let them know that, that, that they're in a safe space and that I am going to ask them things that push them and challenge them, even though I don't really know them yet, but I'm doing it from a pure place. I'm doing it from a, a place of intention that I'm, I'm hoping they're going to find helpful um, but, you know, that's one of the reasons I've been so fascinated with sport and why, you know, uh, you can take somebody like Tom Izzo, the, the head coach at Michigan State, who, sure. who I put on the Mount Rushmore of, of current coaches, 100%. you know, I mean, he can give his players an absolute tongue lashing, yeah. you know, during a TV timeout of a nationally televised game, and he can F-bomb them up and down, he can scream until his face is red, veins are popping out of his head, <laughs> but he, his players know that he loves them, yeah. and he has their back. And he has established that level of trust with them and he will do anything to help them become the best players they can be and realize their dream of playing in the NBA. So he can do that to them. Uh, in many other scenarios, that type of behavior would not be appropriate and or you haven't built the level of trust where that would, would even be welcomed. So I just think that's one thing that we have to remember. Uh, I do believe in holding all humans to a very high level of accountability because I think that's a gift that you can give them. Um, but that even that is going to, to waver depending on the depth of relationship and the depth of the trust that you've established. That, that, that word trust, that, that, that hit me in, in right, right in my heart. Cause it's Patrick's been a leader leader for not that I want to get in too much of our relationship here, but what the heck? Um, but he's been a leader in the, in, in the community in terms of, um, in terms of um, a businessman, an, an entrepreneur, a yoga studio owner, and there. You you nailed the the reason why I feel so comfortable with with that aspect of of our relationship it is the trust piece. There's an underlying trust and confidence I have that as much as I'm guiding my own this own sales experience, he's also guiding it as well, right? So it's like it's it's there, there's a there's a there's a dual. There's we've got two people rowing the boat at the same time in the same direction, and sometimes Patrick just has to steer me in a little bit of a but 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 I'm confident that we're not going to be steered into the into the side of the river and break the boat, right? Right. To to, to bring that analogy up, I know I'm using a boat again, but um, <laughs> it's 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 really important. I think that to establish that level of trust, it's it's something that um, my partner and I, Danielle and I, we we really have a, a a trust level that is far superior to any other relationship I've ever had in my life, and that's why I feel like our bond is so close. Um, is, is is that trust piece? So thank you for, for being the mirror that I needed to be in that. You needed to be in that. Appreciate Ab that. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. And, and trust, of course, is a fascinating one because, um, I mean, trust is one of those things that for some people it can take years to earn. Um, but we all know that one decision or one lapse in judgment um, can absolutely destroy trust. And that's, that, you know, that's kind of the, that's why it's not evenly weighed on the scales. That one's a tough, a tough one. And, and we also know some people are easier to earn trust with. Uh, this goes back to, you know, we only have a small snapshot of someone's life. If, if I'm, I'm just meeting you guys for the first time and I don't know a whole lot about your background and, and I'm finding we're working together and, and I can't seem to get you to buy in or believe in and I, I can't seem to get you to trust me. And then I do a little digging and find that many of the, the major pillars in your life from a relationship um, have all, you know, created mistrust and people have, you know, done a variety of things where you lost trust in them, you're going to be a little hesitant. You know, if, if your major um, care providers and caregivers and some of your earliest relationships, you know, all did things um, to, to sabotage trust, you're going to be much more hesitant to trust. 
Whereas someone who maybe came from a much more trusting environment and, and relationships have just, they've all kind of gone their way might be different. So every single person is different, um, which is the beauty of doing any type of work, whether it's in sport or business is we have general principles that I do believe in theory apply to most human beings, but everything in the world comes down to nuance. It comes down to context. You know, it comes down to, you know, you need to find the individual difference. I mean, I have twin sons. They were born three minutes apart and I parent them very differently because they have very different needs. I talk to them differently. Now I love them the same. Uh, I treat them both fairly. I hold them both to a high level of accountability, but they have different needs. You know, one of my sons is very, very sensitive. So I, I, I speak to him differently than my other son. And you're talking about kids that literally share DNA and I, I still have to treat them differently. So I think that's really important as we navigate this world. Um, and part of that is, is not bringing previous experiences to the present, is not saying, well, you know, my previous girlfriend was fine when I did this. How come you're not fine with it? Well, because I'm a different person. Like that's, what kind of question is that? You know, but, but it's an easy assumption that we make. Um, and, and, you know, so it, it's so important to try and figure those things out. And to me, that's what makes anything in the teaching, coaching, leading space so fascinating is we've got to study nuance and context. We have to be chameleon-like and learn to speak other people's languages, but that's the fun of it. Yeah, exactly right. That's what makes this game so fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and hard, incredibly challenging. It would be so much easier if everyone was identical in robots, but that also I don't think would, would be very interesting. That would be a pretty boring world. So I, I think these nuances keep us on our toes and, and absolutely keep things interesting. So how do you, how do you, how do you stay, stay right where your feet are at? You sort of, you sort of mentioned, I'm using a saying that you use often, like how do you, in other words, how do you be present? Because I think that's, that's another way that you can, you can absolutely influence or you can connect with someone or hold someone accountable and really have that power exchanged is by being present with them. So, so what, what tools or practices do you use that, that, that allow you to stay present, not only when you speak, but when you're, when we're engaging right here, I mean, I just, I'm curious to, to know, to dive, to unpack that a little bit. Well, first and foremost, it starts with awareness. I think everything starts with awareness. Um, you'll, you'll never improve something you're oblivious to, and you'll never fix something you're unaware of. So the first thing I do is I recognize that, you know, for probably 40 to 42 of the years I've been on this planet, I've not been particularly present. I almost said pleasant. I probably haven't been pleasant either, present or pleasant. Um, so, so this is something over the last few years that I've, I've actually been able to experience what a heightened, a heightened world it is when you can learn to be present for longer periods of time. So once again, and I don't say this to diminish my previous self, my previous self was doing the best he could with the information he had. I didn't really know what it meant to be present. So first, I now have an awareness. Uh, and let me go on record in saying being present is arguably the biggest challenge I face every single day. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's not something I've come anywhere close to mastering, not that anyone could. Um, there are times where I, I actually think I do a fairly decent job with it. And then there's other times that I don't. And, and when I don't, I've gotten much better about giving myself some grace and some compassion and learning how to refocus the lens, you know, and say, okay, Alan, you know, you, you, you picked your kids up, uh, you know, from your ex-wife's house, you're taking them out to dinner, you know, the first 20 minutes, you weren't really present with your kids. You were thinking about the keynote you have to give tomorrow. Mm. But what I do is I quickly refocus the lens and I get present for the second half of dinner. I can't do anything about the first half. That one's already gone. And while I wish that I would have been more present the first half, I wasn't. So I've learned to give myself some grace um, and not expect perfection. Uh, I will not be fully present every moment of every day for the rest of my life. I already know going into it that I won't. Um, and then the last thing I do is, um, I try to put some systems in place that make it easier to be present. For example, right now, my phone is off. I have nothing else on my laptop up. There's nothing else in my apartment going on right now. The only thing that is occupying my full attention <clears throat> is this beautiful conversation with you two and hopefully adding some value to your listeners. Um, there's nothing else that could distract me because I've shut everything else out. Hmm. Um, but that was, that's a system that allows me to do that. Now, when I do pick my kids up and I'm going to take them to dinner, uh, I leave my phone in the car. 
Now I don't even have an option of being distracted by my phone while we're at dinner. And now that's also something I model for my children because they're at the age, they have iPhones now. Uh, and it's my preference that they're not looking at them while we're at dinner. Uh, but I can't tell them not to have their iPhones if I have mine out because now I'm not modeling the behavior I want to sure. see. So um, I try to put some systems in place. Um, and then it's like anything else, uh, purposeful practice. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm consistently more present more often today than I was a year ago and absolutely than I was five or 10 years ago. And I hope that if you guys have me back on your show one year from today, I'll be more consistently present then. It takes repetition. It takes practice. Um, and everything is heightened, in my opinion, everything is heightened when you're present. So it's a much better sensation when you're not being distracted by the past and you're not anxious about the future. So just for the own self-serving of wanting to feel more fulfilled and feel more alive and for, feel more energized, it's actually better to be present. So it's got its own inherent reward system built in. <laughs> I I'm I'm enjoying the heck out of this, Alan. Um, Me too. So I want to I want to I want to dive in. You talked about you know we don't have the trust as strangers to get into some deep dark corners, but I want to get into a couple deep dark corners. So um, first off, everybody knows this. I have a super weird brain. My like default reality is present, um, and it like I never am outside of that space. It is just yeah. how my brain works, and it's just I did nothing to make that happen. It just existed. I'm curious. So so I want to get into just kind of I, so to the point of that is I have learned a lot about brains. Um, once I've once I've learned the divergence of my brain from kind of what everybody else in the world is mm -hmm. going on, I want to ask you a question that has to do with um, your experience of fiction. Do you read any fiction? I know it's not exactly an in vogue thing. I, I do not read much fiction. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually probably watch more TV and Netflix than folks would think. Cause I know it's not, it, it's, if you're kind of in the self-development motivational space, you're supposed to tell people stop being lazy and watching TV. You should be out doing pushups and, and, and <laughs> eating granola and climbing mountains but I actually get a tremendous amount of enjoyment um, from, from certain shows and movies because I'm fascinated uh, by cinematography and acting and directing and all sorts of stuff. Um, so I, I'll certainly, I, I watch plenty of fiction-based stuff, but I don't read it. Almost everything I read is in the self-development slash business category. I think this will work. I've, I've never asked this question through a visual medium, but I think the question works anyway. Which um, So when you were watching your favorite or second favorite or third favorite Netflix <laughs> show. And it sounds, I think I know the answer from what you've already shared, but do you experience, do you experience the show through the characters or through mm. the author? Mm. I don't know, whatever an author of a TV show would be, whatever the equivalent of an author would be. I, I think I watch it through, yeah, I guess either the narrator or, or the writer or the director, not yeah. through the characters. Yeah. Mm. That's, oh, I've never been asked that. that. That's actually one I'm going to ruminate with. That is my, my visceral reaction is I believe I watch it through the person telling the story, the person creating the narrative, not the actual characters. Yeah. And in life, my guess is that you experience life kind of the opposite way through the, through the characters that are involved. Yeah, I think that would be accurate. So, so I have the exact flip. Um, and that I think is really interesting in a divergence. So, so my entire life is viewed like through the author where I am kind of seeing everything happen uh, from this secondary level. And my escape into fiction is through the characters which feels just like, probably like the rest of you guys get to experience life. <laughs> wow, that's really um, to follow up, to just get a little more on the inner, inner workings of your brain because I think you have a super fascinating brain uh, within your self-talk, Brian knows this mm. question is a question yeah. I've definitely asked Brian. Uh, mm. What percentage, what percentage of your self-talk is first, second, and third person? Mm. Boy. I would say the vast majority of it is first person. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't even know how I'd break down the other percentages. Cool. Yeah. Um, what was yours, Brian? I can't remember. I think the same. Yeah. 
I don't think that was your answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I was a different person back then. It's changed yeah, today, absolutely. right? <laughs> I'm loving these questions. And, and the reason I'm, I'm taking moments to pause and reflect, I look forward to, to sitting with some of these questions, you know, a, a after this, uh, this discussion is over and, and gives that some more thought. This is really, really fascinating stuff. I love where you're going. So I think, I think that speaking to yourself in first person is remarkably valuable, right? Because um, generally what it, it so 99.99999% of my inner dialogue is neutral or positive. Um, I have like no negative internal dialogue. Again, just a default. I was born that way. It's how my brain works. Wow. But I think when people do speak to themselves negatively, it's generally like they take a, a separation, right? So yeah. you get some type of a nickname or you, or you take that yeah. second person perspective where you can be like, ah, you did this. But I think when you say I, I screwed up, right? There's a huge responsibility instead of a you thing. It's like, yo, I messed up right there. That was me. I did that. And that accountability for yourself, I think is, uh, immensely valuable. Mm -hmm. So I, I am really pushing, pushing people to explore speaking to themselves through first person, especially when they've done something wrong, instead of being the you blank, 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 or the mm -hmm. you did you, I can't believe you did this. Yeah. That's, that, that's, yeah, you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to reframe my, my, my <laughs> question. It's more, it's more of, I have a creative character that, yeah. that, yeah, you're exactly right. I didn't mean to take away from your response, Alan. <laughs> no, no, this is this is this is really fascinating. Um, when you are working with people, so mm. so in the in the sports in the sports performance area, do you ever get into the discussion around self-talk? Absolutely. Oh yeah, and and not even just that's not even just relegated on the sports side. I mean, anytime yeah, I yeah, work yeah. with someone, totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah, one of the major things is is self-talk, and um, you know I'm. I'm fascinated by the incredibly rare default that you have with you know, defaulting towards neutral and positive, because I, I think many of the high performers I've come across are incredibly self-critical and self-loathing. Uh, certainly they, they have a bravado and a confidence that they've earned through demonstrated performance. Mm. Um, but when they do fall short or mess up, they're really hard on themselves. And, and, for a good portion of my life, I believe I fell in that camp. So what I'm I'm trying to do now, and um, and and I'm pleased with the progress I've made so far, is I'm trying to talk to myself with the same compassion and empathy that I would talk to a loved one or a friend. And you know, if if somebody close to me reached out and said, "Man, I just had the worst day of my life," or uh, you know, whatever it may be, you know, my I, I'm very empathic, and my my natural tendency would be to try to comfort them. Um, you know, and let them know that, hey, things are going to be okay. I've got your back. Tomorrow will be better. And I do believe that. Um, and I'm, I'm really working to start speaking to myself in that same light uh, instead of being so critical and piling it on. Because then ultimately what happens, you know, you, you start to put shame and guilt on top of it. And sure. now you've created this, this circle where, you know, you, you, you feel bad about a mistake that you made. And now you feel guilty that you feel bad. And it just, it can spiral out of control. So I'm trying to be much kinder, but no, Almost everything in life, I think, stems from how we talk to ourselves. I love getting those. I love so so for me, this it's always fascinating, right? Because the stuff that happens within your guys' world that is so like normal and commonplace, for me, it's just mind-blowing. Like you said earlier, uh, something along the lines of like people holding, like thinking, oh well, my ex did this, so why don't you do this? Like I've, I've, I've witnessed that in people, but I thought that would most likely be like a, an extreme anomaly within society. And I think that's probably not as true as I imagined it to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's fairly, it's fairly common. Yeah. You know, um, people tend to believe that past experiences create the present or create the future. And it's hard for them to to take their mind off of that. I mean, it's, I even have a, an example in, in my new book about, uh, you know, if, if you flip a coin and it lands on heads seven times in a row, what's the percentage chance it's going to land on heads the eighth time. And yeah, I mean, the answer is always 50%. It never changes, but most people take the experience. Well, if it's land seven times on heads in a row, it's gotta be tails the next time it has to be. No, you're, you're taking something from the past and you're believing that it's going to change 
the present and that's simply not the case. And, uh, but, but, but yeah, I've experienced that in my life as well, you know, had certain things happen in relationships and then I just assume they're going to happen in the current relationship. Um, and that I try not to use absolutes, but it almost always does me a disservice when I make that assumption. Yeah. hundred percent. Just because it it fits in here, I want to get I want to get a little more info on your book, but I also want to run through really quickly with you guys um, a thing called the Monty Hall problem because it fits with this coin flip. Do you know the Monty Hall problem? I don't know. I'm fascinated. Bring it. Okay, so the Monty Hall problem is uh, it's a math equation that has to do with um, a game show. So let's say you guys are on a team on a game show. There's three doors behind. Two of the doors is a goat. If you choose the goat, the goat is going to live in your bedroom for the next year. Do not choose the goat. That's going to be a bad time. Behind the third door, there is a brand new dream car. Whichever one it has, you guys can both get your own dream car. It doesn't matter. Um, together, you guys, can, you guys can come up with this together. Choose one of the three doors. I will pay attention because it doesn't matter. I know which one the car is behind. What do you think, Brian? Door one, door two, door door, door three. Those are your choices. That's it. I'm going to go with door two. I'll go with you as well, Brian. That's cool. Okay. So we have door two, door two. I am going to show you guys what is behind door number three. It is a goat. Okay. Now I'm going to give you one chance. You have one chance to change your answer to you are, you are currently on number two. If you guys want to, you can change your answer to number one statistically would changing your answer to number one increase decrease or do nothing to your chances of winning changing our answer will increase the chance that we'll win yes it will (laughs) and it's as you were explaining this i've heard this before for some reason that the monty hall part never registered i didn't know that's what it was I don't think I can do it justice in explaining it. I would love to hear your explanation of it, but I, I think yeah. it has to do with, you know, we, we had a 33% chance of being correct the first time. Exactly. Now we have a 50, 50% chance. Um, you don't have a 50% chance. You actually have a 33% chance because your choice was one in three. So you had a 33% chance of being right and a 66% chance of being wrong. So, so you are 66% likely to be wrong with your first choice. And it doesn't matter that I showed you the third door because you didn't choose between one and two, you choose between one and three. So uh, the only thing, so the, so you've now taken two thirds and put it to the second one. And I think those little statistical anomalies, right? Where it seems like, well, it has to be heads the next time, or it has to be tails the next right. time. They're just not true. And we, our brain is so hardwired to be like, well, this has to be true. This is, there's no way this, it cannot possibly change. So I, I love things like that. They just oh, melt my mind. That, that is so fascinating. Melt my mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I would imagine on some level scenarios like that are why Vegas makes so much money. Yeah, that's absolutely, it. man. Exactly that's right. so why, that's why the house will the house will always win for oh, those exact man. reasons. Yeah. You see these big buildings everywhere? <laughs> they weren't built, they weren't built by winners. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, that's exactly. fascinating. I'm so glad you brought that up. The Monty yeah. what's it called? The Monty Hall Monty principle? Hall problem. Oh, problem. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay, so so back into the back into the coin flips in your book. Will you tell us a little bit more about your book? Sure. So uh, my first book, Raise Your Game, was to hopefully provide folks with tools to reach optimal performance, the proverbial mountaintop in any area of their life. Um, and in doing so, while I'm still on the climb, I haven't reached the mountaintop yet. Uh, I have come to the realization that reaching the peak is only part of the battle. The real challenge in life is learning how to stay there and and learning how to sustain not only excellence, performance, achievement, but sustain fulfillment and joy as well. Um, And and as I was coming to those conclusions, um, I started to realize that the three things that undermine our ability to be happy, fulfilled, and perform well are stress, stagnation, and burnout. So those are really the three focal points of the new book um, in trying to give folks tools on how they can manage stress, avoid stagnation, and beat burnout in the long haul. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm Heck looking yeah. forward to diving into that for sure. It's cool. a much needed... I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, we will. 
Yeah. Um, should I ask the meditation question? Yeah. Yeah. I know we're coming up, we're coming up on that on the 60 minutes. So we want to be respectful of your time. This has been an incredible conversation and I appreciate so you, you, you bringing it the way, the way that you do, man. Um, so, so we always like to ask every single one of our guests, how your meditation, many of our guests, ma- many of our guests, excuse me. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we won't encapsulate everybody. Exactly. Um, there are all those outliers as we discussed earlier, but in, in your own in your own meditation practice, I know that you use an app. I think yeah. um, Headspace was that is that right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's a guided meditation for ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. But so I, I don't. We don't want to know. We're, we're really interested in what what's happening aesthetically. Like if we were to look at you sitting or, or wherever you are standing or wherever you're meditating. But what's happening internally, internally to Alan? Like how does that how does that feel or or or, or any feeling sensations? Kind of break that open for us a little bit more. So I do. I choose to do my meditation pretty much right after I wake up. And I, I choose to do it lying down in bed. Uh, I follow the Headspace guided meditation. Um, I've been really consistent for about four years now. Um, I think you could count on two hands how many days I've missed in four years. So um, I love that consistency. Um, I'm fascinated by the fact that, you know, even though it's a, a pretty ingrained habit at this point, there are still mornings. Actually, this morning was one of them. I mean, my mind was like a squirrel all morning. I mean, here it is. I'm, I'm not even asking myself to do much other than try to just be present, you know, b- b- be aware. And, and I even had difficulty with it this morning, but, but overall I'm getting better with it. And then, and I'm not dodging your question. I will get back to that. But I've also come to realize very similar to fitness. A lot of people think, you know, well, I, I go to the gym three times a week for 60 minutes, um, but then the rest of their lifestyle is not really congruent with that. Like just because you work out three times, you know, being physically fit is much more of a lifestyle. And, and I think I've started to embrace that with meditation. While I like doing that daily practice, I, I carve out several moments throughout the day just to sit in stillness and to get away from all distractions and to just breathe. Uh, sometimes that could be for 30 seconds. Sometimes it could be for another 10 to 12 minutes. Um, but I'm trying to make it much more a part of the fabric of my life and not just something that I check off the old to-do list. Because when I first started doing it, it was definitely a just check off the to-do list. Like the second that the 10 minutes was up, I was up and I was running frantic and, and it was so, but I, I think that I've gotten better with that. Um, while I'm laying there, I do try to focus on breath and just try to focus on just kind of allowing thoughts to flow without judgment and not, you know, I, I feel rather peaceful while I'm doing it. I feel somewhat grounded. Um, I do find thoughts are incredibly intrusive and it's, it's hard for me not to think like, all right, what else do I have to get done this morning? Oh yeah, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Um, but I don't judge myself for having those thoughts. I'm just simply aware of them. Um, but, but I like the practice and I can say without question there's been a mass difference, a major difference in the last four years in my ability to be present, in my ability to be still, uh, in my just kind of overall groundedness. So uh, it's kind of that brick by brick philosophy. You know, you, you just meditate a couple of times. It's probably not going to do much for you. But if you do it consistently and you take the practice seriously, uh, it can be, you know, life changing, literally. I like that. How you said it, it, it really... It's a lifestyle, right? I mean, the more often that you can incorporate any, any practice into your life, it, it really starts to make that a part of you as opposed to just a box you're checking off. Yeah. yeah well said, man. Which is, which is interesting because I love structure. I love routine. I love consistency. I actually love lists. You know, mm. I, I do ever since I was a kid. I mean, I used to make handwritten to-do lists as a child. And very few things in the world gave me as much satisfaction as making a perfectly square box and then putting a check in it. Even if it was just to fold my laundry, I would create a to-do list just to write fold laundry on it so I could check it off. Sometimes I would fold the laundry first and be like, I got to add it to my to-do list just so I can check it off. So, So part of that is kind of how I'm wired and these things bring me satisfaction. But I realize you know, just checking off, going to the gym three times, just checking off, meditating each morning. Those things aren't meant to be compartmentalized. Like the body is meant to be moved. So yes, I absolutely do structured workouts, but I try to be active just as a human being. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful for the mind to be still and to be aware. So yes, I check off headspace, 
but I try to find as many times where I'm not tethered to my devices and I'm not needing some type of stimulation. And, uh, you know, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to live the type of lifestyle that's in harmony with the person that I'm, I'm aiming to be. Yeah. It's like a yoga teacher conveying to their students. We're both yoga teachers, like a yoga teacher conveying to their students that this yoga practice, the things that we're going through right out on your four corners of your mat can also happen outside of this room, outside of those four corners of the mat. It's that same analogy. And, and it really becomes your time spent on the mat in those four corners becomes more impactful. The more often you can incorporate what you're learning on the mat, off the mat. It's, a, it's just a, it's a beautiful synergy, if you will, when, Ab when combined. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. For sure. Oh, this was so much fun. This was, I mean, I, I, with all sincerity, I mean, I have been a guest on easily over 200 podcasts in the last four years. And this was without question, um, one of the most enjoyable and unique conversations. It was, uh, I love the direction we went. I, I appreciate the contributions you guys made and, and uh, really enjoyed the things we discussed, but more importantly, you planted a few seeds of things that I, I'm going to really sit with over the next few days and, and do some introspection and some exploration and, and figure some of these things out. I mean, it's, uh, I, I relish this stuff. I, I love these yeah. kind of things and it's nice to be able to, to have conversations like this. So this very well done guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's been, um, yeah, just so rad. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. This was, yeah, this is, this is why we do this thing. Yeah, this is exactly <laughs> right. Exactly sure. right. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how all of the, uh, the, the shopping cart crusaders that commented <laughs> on the last podcast. That's it. Let's, let's see what they have to say. And, and, and I'll tell them right now, feel free. You, they can DM me on Instagram at Alan Stein Jr. If, if you don't like our positioning on shopping carts, you can, you can bring it. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, I look forward to um, to our paths crossing again, man, sometime in the near future. I'm sure that they will. Yeah, I, I hope so. Well, let's let's make it so. Let's not wait for happenstance. Yeah, let's absolutely. Let's do, let's do it, man. Let's do it. We'll come back in a year. We'll get your updates on uh, on how things are going. Absolutely, I would love that. And, and let me know this, and I'll amplify it and try and send as much traffic your way as possible. I would I would love for people to hear this conversation. Appreciate that. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, guys, have a great one. Appreciate you, you Take care. All right.